Hey guys, we're about to jump into the second part of our uh, question over does science disprove Christianity with our special guest Jeff White. Uh, in the following section, I asked Jeff a little bit about uh, biology and how biology tends to ignore a number of the things that, that Jeff has been talking about, how that plays into our understanding of science and faith. And also, I asked him a little bit about the scientific community in general. Does the scientific community tend to be less Christian or religious in their thinking? Hope you enjoy. Interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this. I've, I've been somewhat quiet just because I feel like I got little to add. But one of the things I've noticed actually is none of the stuff you're talking about is the stuff that's going to get talked about in a biology class. No. Um, which, is, which is where a lot of the shots at the Bible get taken is in biology. Um, but that it, it kind of almost creates its own little world where biology is all and is everything and all of those things and doesn't even take into account these big cosmological questions and stuff. An, an excellent point, uh, Drew, and in fact, it's uh, in many of these books, uh, and again, I do tend to have a bias more toward the phys physics and chemistry community, but it's interesting to look at how science itself has evolved. So in the 19th century, you had the physicist, um, you know, the physical chemist of the world basically saying, well, yeah, you know, um, this is probably all just, you know, statistical chance. But then as the quantum age dawned and we begin to learn about the very bizarre behavior of things like, oh, okay, you mean I have a wavelength as a person, uh, you know, this so-called wave particle duality and a lot of the uncertainties that that brings to the act of even doing science rigorously, okay? So, so what's happened now, we're in a situation where the the physicists and the cosmologists say, oh, you know, there, there very much is um, a special place for the human being in all of that. Whereas the biologists who used to give sort of a privileged, um, um, you know, th think of human body, the human mind as being privileged have gone the other way. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, where now biology is saying, okay, well, yeah, we're basically, you know, the product of some initial events in a primordial suit when the light and heat and salt content were just right, mm. uh, even though there is no experimental evidence to prove that that has ever happened. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting scientific culture even uh, that, that the people who tend to think about things on the grandest scale and try to use the universe itself as a laboratory are now saying, uh, wow, hmm, you know, I can't, it's, it seems highly improbable that uh, all of these things happened randomly. Now, the only way around that is to invoke the fact, well, okay, there are something on the order of 10 raised to the power of 500 universes, this so-called multiverse idea. Well, okay, could be no evidence for that. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, Stephen Hawking wrote this book, A Brief History of Time, which, you know, everybody sort of worships. Um, but while I myself am not qualified to critique everything in that book, other physicists who are highly distinguished who have read that book say that it's fraught with indefensible assumptions. Mm -hmm. If we're going to hang our hat on science, then we need to look at uh, interpreting the data in a scientifically rigorous mm -hmm. method. And this so-called multiverse proposal that could somehow get around these uncertainty limits just because you make a number big enough mm -hmm. there's no evidence for that hmm. so, so yeah in the biological world it's interesting because 
you know, abiogenesis is a, is a problem for which there is no scientific solution outside of a creator, no scientific evidence that life has initiated itself in the absence of life. The very special place in terms of the structure of all of the naturally occurring building blocks that form life, you know, uh, amino acids that are used to make proteins, uh, they all have a very specific three-dimensional configuration. If they had been created out of the random sort of entropic scientific mechanism, okay, so energy tends to be dispersed so I can have multiple configurations of these essential building blocks of life, why is there only one? Mm. Um, well, okay, you can invoke, you know, well, okay, the way the earth rotates about its axis and the way the, you know, the earth rotates about the sun, maybe over, you know, eons and eons, we've selected for only one configuration no scientific evidence to support that so these are some examples yeah yeah so you mentioned you mentioned earlier the time question is one that people are going to be thinking through how, how do you how do you respond to that yeah so uh, if we look at time as a scientist looks at time we are immediately confused okay and i'm not using that as an out but uh if you take all that we know from the case of sort of quantum theory and relativity, all of which have been proven to be true, then time is completely reversible. Right. So, you <laughs> should, and so my point is, I mean, there have been very many famous, well-accomplished physicists that drive themselves crazy over this topic. Huh. And so, so for me, um, you know, I have to recognize there are going to be some things where I cannot reconcile my my day-to-day -day worldly existence and what I call the macroscopic world, sandwiched between the microscopic, which tends to obey the rules of quantum physics very elegantly, and I can do experiments to prove that, and the megascopic world, you know, the universe and, you know, celestial bodies whose mass is, you know, numbers larger than I can calculate and, you know, gravitational force constants that tend to obey the rules of relativity. Okay, here I am where my mind, you know, is it, I mean, science has shown that it could be the very act of our experiencing things is that which defines time. Time is very, very messy. So if we agree that space and time, so-called space-time, began at the Big Bang, and as a believer, I believe God was responsible for that, how do I even think about God in time, hmm. right? So, so was God hanging around for a certain period of time and then decided that, hey, I'm going to create space and time? Well, that doesn't make any sense, Yeah. right? Um, if God transcends time, which is what I believe, then how is he able to deal with my day-to-day -day timely ideas? I don't have an explanation yeah. of that. I will tell you that science says, if you take the well-known principles of physics, that Time really is not a meaningful parameter, hmm. right? You and I, you know, there's this very famous twins experiment. Uh, let's say, Drew, that you and I are twins, and you're the more adventure, adventuresome of the two of us, naturally, so you decide you're going to take, you know, one of these first trips to Mars, uh, and I wait here on Earth because too much uncertainty there for me. So you go and you come back, and let's say the whole thing takes 10 years, well, in that period of time, you know, I've aged what looks like 10 years, and you've aged basically one year or two years. You know, so this whole relationship between the relative aspect of time, speed, distance, conditions under which you exist, for me, I have no problem 
suspending my normal definition of mm. time in the context of the creator of this universe who got things right to within one part in 10 to the 304 for me to be here to even have this discussion. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So I've, I've, I've gone in an area where I go, man, I'm, I, we tell our students, we don't believe Genesis was written to answer necessarily 21st century science questions. And so I've even been okay with whatever you want to do with time. I, I trust that God was behind it in whatever way, but it's, it's fascinating to hear you say, by the way, people who study time say we don't really understand time. And so it's hard, right, <laughs> hard to right. even quantify that. Can I, I want to ask you just one more question. Sure. It's there's a number of things you say that I'm like, man, I I can't even I can't even track with so so much beyond me. But I find even a confidence and an encouragement in knowing that a guy like you who can understand these things, who spent years studying these things, only find your faith increased. Um, I know that there's a there's a perception that anybody who spends any time studying science no longer has faith if they spent so much, you know, very much time that any smart people don't believe this stuff anymore. How have you found that to, to play out in the scientific community for you? Does that, does that ring true? Uh, it, it really doesn't. Now, the, the more you study science, the more you become comfortable with the concept of uncertainty because you realize that, you know, scientific experiments that you do uh, are, you know, fraught with bias to some degree. And again, I'm not I mean, people try to be as rigorous as possible. You know, I certainly do uh, in my own little little piece of the scientific world in which I operate. But but what I found is that um, you know you know there are some extremely distinguished individuals who uh, have no problem believing in a a creator, somebody who constructed the universe in a way that that supported you know our being mm-hmm. here. Why? Because we can glorify that creator. That's, that's our charge. Um, you know, it's, it's rarely because of scientific accomplishment that I see people claiming they don't have a faith. It's mostly just because of their inherent pride. You know, here's the deal. Overall, scientists aren't much different than anybody else. Uh, they, are, um, they are victim to the same human tendencies of pride, of vanity, uh, that you know that that complicates everyone else's yeah. life and so i would argue that if a person really did sit down and think about it objectively and look at the data now again you know i i admit i have a weakness in terms of my familiarity with the biological world so it could be that some papers come out in the last five years or so that somehow i've missed that you know that sort of addresses you know chirality and abiogenesis and the so-called polymer problem i mean how do we get all these proteins assembled in just the right sequence of amino acids that we need for life? You know, there's a factor of 10, 1 in 10 to the 40 right there. You know, I don't know. Um, so maybe they can tell me. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the, the largest barrier to scientists is not because the science has disproved God for them. It's because, you know, they're full of pride and <laughs> vanity just like everybody else. Very interesting. Um, any Jeff, as we wrap up, any any resources you would recommend? Things that have been helpful to you in thinking through this question. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, again, some of the books that I mentioned earlier, uh, I believe, are are good. You know, these are books written by successful uh, physicists that have contemplated, you know, the creation of the cosmos and our part in it. Uh, that are not written. You know, I, I don't know. Many of these guys are probably not Christians. Uh, they're also not hostile to mm. Christianity. Uh, you know, so Brian Greene's uh, Elegant Universe is a fairly recent one. Uh, sort of a, 
a textbook you know, classic is Steven Weinberg's uh, The First Three Minutes. Why? Because I believe that scientists, sorry, that Christians often shy away from being scientifically literate. Uh, and again, I'm not asking people to become experts, but, but being aware of what the scientific community is saying so that you can have you know, some, some form of intelligible discussion. Uh, Paul Davies, and that's not Davis, but Davies, D-A-V-I-E-S, has written many books, some of which are maybe 15, 20 years old now, but uh, please don't get turned off just because something's not on the Internet. Mm. Um, uh, you know, very several books that, that deal with this question, and, and Paul is a believer. Uh, and so, so yeah, those, those are some that come to mind. Um, you know, um, there, there are there's a lot in this area, and I think as Christians, we tend to say, well, hmm, I can't understand any of that stuff, so therefore I'm going to shy away from that conversation the next time I'm around the coffee pot and people are saying that science has disproved Christianity. I often like to know, for the people that are saying that, what, you know, what's your scientific background? What scientific data are you aware of that's disproved this? It's good. That's yeah. good. I'll uh, I'll have us uh, include some of those resources in the in the notes of the podcast, so those of you who are listening can check that out and and maybe give some of those a read. Uh, I want to thank you, Jeff, for coming and oh, taking the time to share me. with us. Yeah. Appreciate it very much. And uh, hey, for those of you who are students in Stillwater, I know that uh, Jeff is a resource, a guy who'd, who'd love to talk with you a little bit if you've got any other questions. I want to thank Steve Broadway also for helping make this thing work today. We will see you guys next time.